At Life Street Community Church, we believe that we are the church. It's not a building, a program, or a tradition. A church is people. You and I are the church, and we have influence. We have responsibility, and we have the honor and privilege of being called God's church. Each of us is part of that church, and that includes you. All right. Anyway, John chapter 4. We're gonna, let's, let's redeem this time. John chapter 4. This is not going to... Oh, man, I'm going to have to fly. So here we go. Um, it's page 811 in those Bibles there. I have a lot to get through this morning in a short period of time, and I'm going to do my best. So uh, hope you can keep up. We're just uh, getting a little bit of a late, late start. Take my time. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate it. So as you turn in there, page 811 in the Bibles that are in your seats, there will be on the screen as well if you'd like to follow along. John chapter 4. As you turn in there, there are some places that I enjoy going. Right? Everybody's got places you look forward to going. I don't know if anybody's going anywhere today or you know, maybe you went to the beach this weekend to try to take advantage of the weather. I know some people love going to the beach. Some people like going to the city. Some people like going different places. You know, I love going to Arizona. We've been, I mean, it's just like, it's amazing. It's beautiful. I love it. It's just therapy for me. I love going to the beach. We do Ocean City. It's a lot of fun. I love going to Dolce and Clemente's, right? I like going anywhere where there's good food. Like, I like those things. But then there are some places I try to avoid, right? Like entirely, like the city of Philadelphia. I just hate Philadelphia entirely. I just don't like it. Um, nope, you're early. You're early on that one. That's not where I'm supposed to. That's, yeah, that wasn't it. We're not there yet. You can go back to the main one. Thank you. That's not one of the places I try to avoid. That's something else. Um, I was going to say I try to avoid Philadelphia. Um, I try to avoid, but I mean, listen, let's just get it out there. You should avoid Denny's. Okay, we'll get there. Um, the Belt Parkway um, is a place that anybody, anybody familiar with the Belt Parkway? Try and avoid the Belt Parkway at all costs, yes. Come on, Pete, you know it. Um, I try and avoid the Sharon School parking lot. Yes, anybody. Okay, anywhere, come on, you know it. It's chaos. I mean, listen, I've driven all over the world. That place is insane. We all have places that we're excited to go, and sometimes we have places that we dread going, right? Um, so maybe for you, it's a relative's house. And I won't qualify whether that's where you're excited to go or where you dread going. I'll leave that up to you. You decide. Um, you know how those places make you feel. Some There are places that you're not supposed to go, right? It's dangerous for you, um, or maybe it's off limits or it's not appropriate. And now is when you put it up. Okay, that's the place. There you go. Listen, let me tell you, anytime in any state, no matter where you are, don't do it. Just don't go to Denny's. Just don't do it. I'm telling you, it's save your stomach. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Um, but there are just some places that you shouldn't go, right? Some places that you absolutely shouldn't go. Jesus is one of those people that just doesn't do what he's supposed to do. He goes wherever he wants to go, and he don't care about your rules, right? He played to the beat of his own drum. Now, we're going to read a story about Jesus going to a place that he's not supposed to go, and there's three notes for context in this story that I want to, want to help you understand so that it makes the whole story make sense. Right, this is the last message in our Heart of the Father series. Now, it's about a city named Samaria, or an area named Samaria. It was a region. Samaria is geographically close to the uh, Jewish land. It's a Jewish area, right, where, they, where the Jews lived in, in Jerusalem and Judea. It's, it's very geographically close, but these are socially distant people, right? So they're geographically close, but socially 
Man, that was the other side of the tracks. You do not go there. These people did not get along. They hated each other. There's about 500 years of, at the time of this story, about 500 years of hostility between them. Right? So they're not getting along at all. There's Jews and there's Samaritans. They do not socialize. The Jews consider the Samaritans unclean. Right? Uh, to even be near them would defile them. Imagine that. Like, if I just come near you, I get contaminated by your cooties. Like, that's what they're thinking, right? And they argued often about who was the true descendant of Jacob. They argued a lot about Jacob and who had a right to claim Jacob as their ancestor. Uh, the second thing you need to know is that, so they're geographically close but socially distant. second thing you need to know is that getting water in that culture... Uh, Jew, Samaritan, didn't matter, was typically done by women, typically done in the morning or at dusk. To avoid the heat, they would go to a well, a common well, a community well, and they would draw water out. And they would do that either in the morning or at night. They, that was just, that was customary. They would go together, often, often stay together. You know, it's like, listen, same thing happens today, right? Sorry, just ladies, you go to the bathroom, you go together. I don't understand it, but they just do things in community. Okay, um, so they would do it together. And then the third thing you need to know is that men did not talk to women in public. Especially, like, even if it was their wife, would not talk to women in public. There was a very different culture. Um, and, uh, but that's the reality. In order to understand this story, we have to know that about that, about that time. Um, and Jesus and his disciples have been doing ministry, uh, and they're taken, you know, they're heading home, they're tired. Now, here's the deal from where they were to where they're going, there's Samaria in the middle. And the options are take the beltway, right? around or walk through. Jews don't walk through. They take the beltway. It's just not worth it. They don't want to get contaminated. They don't walk through Samaria. Jesus chooses to walk right through the middle of it, and that's where the story gets interesting. That's where we're going to pick it up. John chapter 4, verse 3, page 811 in your Bibles, and it says this, So he, Jesus, left Judea and returned to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria on the way. And not that he had to, but Jesus had to. Of course he has to, because that's how he is. So he chooses to. Verse 5. Eventually he comes to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from his long walk, sits wearily beside the well about noontime. So you're getting the setting here. He's now in a, in a village where he's probably not supposed to be there. Right? It's not a good thing. It's, and he's tired. It's like... You know, after I've been in Target for too long, like, please, can I just sit somewhere? I don't care. You know, I just need to sit down. And verse seven says, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Remember, it's noon. Like the sun's up. It's hot. Jesus is tired. And he's literally sitting on the well. The well would have been uh, like a big, you know, circular thing. And it has a stone on top. Uh, like a stone lid kind of on the top with a hole in the middle so that children or animals wouldn't fall in and contaminate the water. Yeah, but they could still get access to the water. So it'd have kind of a lid on it. So he's like sitting on the lid of this well. He's not like sitting like, you know, on the edge of like a well with a little dome over top and a bucket they roll down. You know, it's not like that. It's this big, old, you know, circular thing. Um, so he, soon as Samaritan water comes to draw water and Jesus says to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy food. First question, what's a woman doing at a well in the middle of the day? Okay. So let's think about it. Either one, she's avoiding other women. She doesn't want to be near them. For whatever reason, they're not getting along. She wants to avoid the other women. She's trying not to be seen. 
Or two, she's hoping to run into somebody, a traveler or somebody who might be there, who might be lost, and you never know what she's, what her intentions are, right? We don't know. But what we do know is that this is highly unusual. This was not normal. This was an out of the ordinary experience. On the day that Jesus is walking through Samaria, it just so happens that a lady comes to the well during the middle of the day when it doesn't ever happen. All right, on seeing her, Jesus was expected to withdraw about 20 feet away. That's what he should have done. He should have got up and walked away and about 20 feet and been like, it's okay, it's safe, you can use the well, you won't contaminate me, all right? Like customarily, like, I'll give you space, I'll give you your time, like, right? Like, I'm going to give you space, right? That's what should have happened. Um, Jesus doesn't move because Jesus rarely does what we expect. And he doesn't do it for the sake of shock. He does it because he's revealing God in brand new ways. So he's there, aware of her, and he's not moving. He sees the woman, and he's just sitting there. All right. Like, she's coming. And so here's the thing. The woman comes to get water anyway. So they're both exhibiting highly unusual behavior. Either she's really thirsty, really curious, or she's looking for something else. I'll let you read between the lines. As she gets close... Jesus asks her to draw out water and share from her personal bucket. He's going to have to share a cup. How many of you don't even share with your own kids, right? With your own spouse, right? Like with a, I, I just, I just don't like when there's lipstick on it. Like I just, I can't, you know. I got to drink from the other side. Like, did you drink from this already? You know, and they're wiping it off. You know, you know, all right. He's saying, I'm going to share your bucket. Listen, being near her would have contaminated him. Walking through Samaria makes him unclean already. Now sharing her bucket. Jesus is breaking so many social taboos. He's talking to a woman, especially with no witness. Okay? He's ignoring 500 years of hostility between Jews and Samaritans. He ignores rules about purity and ceremonial cleanliness. It's hard for me to capture the shock of this, so I'm trying to do my best. But I want you to let you this was highly unusual. This woman would have been like, what is going on here? So, verse 9, the woman was surprised, to say the least. That's probably like... You know, flabbergasted. I don't know what kind of word you, you know, flummoxed. You can pick a word, right? For Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she says to Jesus, you're a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? See, her question hints at the possibility that Jesus might have had other motives. This woman doesn't know Jesus, doesn't know him from Adam, doesn't know who he is. And what she's saying is, what are you really asking me for? Is all you want water? Because why else would a Jewish man be in Samaria talking to a woman when it's highly unusual, asking me for a drink? We both know you're breaking the rules. What's up? That's what she's saying. What's up? And Jesus replies, If only you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. I mean, he goes Yoda on her, right? It's like all like, whoa, deep. He chooses not to respond to her question at all. She says, why are you giving me water? And he gives her some like mystical, spiritual answer. He feels no pressure to answer anything she asks. He just digs a little deeper. The woman doesn't really understand what Jesus means because 
He gives a spiritual answer, and her response in verse 11 is very simple, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. (laughs) And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? She's thinking he's talking about water, like real water. You don't have a bucket, right? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? Okay, so she's starting to dig at him, right? Our ancestor Jacob, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, but he's our ancestor, How can you offer better water than he and his sons and animals enjoyed? She's trying to validate herself, right? You ever try and prove yourself? Well, do you know who I am? Do you know who my dad is? Do you know who my mom is? Do you know who I work for? You know, do you know what I do? Do you know who I... She's doing all this stuff. She's basically saying to Jesus, who do you think you are? Saying you've got better water. And once again, Jesus does not answer her question. Verse 13, he replies, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And she still does not understand. He's going mystical. And she's going, oh, if it benefits me, I'll take that. Verse 15, please, sir. The woman said, give me the water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. I don't have to come back here. Like, listen, if you never had to go to ShopRite again, you're like, sign me up. Seriously? Like, delivery to my door? Like... Better than Amazon Pantry. Like, it's great. You get everything. And now Jesus starts to really get to the issue. Because in this moment, something changes. She's been kind of, they've been talking about water and drinking and thirsty. And and she's kind of not understanding. And Jesus says something in verse 16 that changes everything. He says, very simply, go and get your husband, Jesus says. Seems reasonable. If there's something important, it would make sense for the whole family to be there. Customarily, if Jesus has something to share with a woman, he'd like to share with the whole family that they can all hear it. But there's a lot more to this story. I don't have a husband. Verse 17, the woman replied. And Jesus says, you're right, you don't have a husband. Verse 18, for you have had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Do you think that got her attention? This guy's been talking about water and buckets, and all of a sudden he just read my mail. He knows me. I mean, wow. Do you think it's interesting that Carrie talked about shame? How do you think the woman felt in that moment when all her dirty laundry is right there in front of this guy who's just some Jew? who's talking to her. She's, she is totally confused. Like, what's going on here? Why is this guy talking to me? And now how does he know this about me? Sir, the woman said, verse 19, you must be a prophet. I mean, and just like you or I would do, if somebody starts getting real personal, she tries to change the subject. <laughs> verse 20, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped. She's trying to go like, okay, let's just divert that conversation. Go get your husband. I don't have one. You have five. Oh, okay. Um, so anyway, hey, let's talk about this. Right? She tries to divert. All right? This guy must be a prophet. Let's get him talking about religious things. Let's get him talking about religious stuff. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem, 
You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes from the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. See, rather than just continue to, to read her mail and talk about all that stuff, you know what Jesus does? He says, all right, you want to talk theology? Let's talk theology. He responds to this woman with respect. He treats her as a theologian. He gives her dignity. He elevates her and all women with her. He says, okay, we can talk theology. Let's talk theology for a minute. Let me tell you what's going to happen. It doesn't matter where you worship. What matters is the heart. You want to get down to theology, we can do that. And in a moment of candor, this woman expresses a genuine response. She says, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Essentially, she just goes, someday that's all going to make sense to me. I don't really understand all of it, but someday it will. And what Jesus says next is probably one of the clearest declarations he's ever made about himself in the entire Bible. He simply says, Jesus told her, verse 26, I am the Messiah. Have you ever heard Jesus talk so clearly? And it started with a request for water. It starts with Jesus tired, being like, oh, sees a woman, and he goes, all right, let's talk. And it turns into, I'm revealing myself to you in ways I haven't revealed it to entire crowds of people. This is crazy. And just then, the disciples came back. Verse 27, they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. <laughs> of course, they're like, bong. Like, first of all, they're probably uneasy about being in Samaria. And now, he's talking to a woman alone. Right? And it says, none of them had the nerve to ask him, what do you want with her and why are you talking to her? They're like, uh, that's a lady and a Samaritan and it's not a good look, Jesus. Not a good look. But I'm not saying anything to him. You say something. I'm not saying anything to him. You, I'm not saying anything. Verse 28. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. This woman becomes the very first preacher in the entire Bible. This woman, she's the very first female preacher. And her message is simple and engaging. One, he told me everything I ever did. People are like, well, that's a lot. They probably know her story. They lived with her. He told me everything I ever did. Judge for yourselves. She opens the door, no pressure. That's the message. That's her sermon. This is my story. Judge for yourself. And it says the village responds. People just come. Think about the value that Jesus gave to this woman. She's coming to a well in the middle of the day, avoiding people or doing things she knows are wrong. She's there. She's a mess. Jesus doesn't condemn her. He does nothing to say anything about. He just speaks the truth. Hey, let me just talk about reality. You're not married and, you, and this, is the, this, is your, this is your situation. There's no judgment. There's no, it's not there. It's just a light. And she just goes, whoa. And the next thing you know, this woman is now going out telling other people, I think this guy's for real. 
because you've got to judge for yourself. Meanwhile, the disciples are urging Jesus in verse 31, Rabbi, eat something. They're essentially saying, Jesus, grab a Snickers. You're not you when you're hungry. Because this is not normal behavior. And Jesus replies, I have a food you know nothing about. And these disciples go, did someone bring him food? Well, we were gone. (laughs) Then Jesus explains, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me, you nitwits. It's from finishing his work. These guys are so dense. And let me tell you, it's so refreshing to read this because the Bible is so real. Let me tell you, if the Bible was made up, it wouldn't put stuff like this in there. These are the people closest to Jesus. And it's showing them, like, being so confused. And they're supposed to get it. They don't, the Bible doesn't sugarcoat anything. It just tells it like this. These guys are like, where to get food? And he's like, guys, no. And Jesus teaches, he, he seizes the moment to teach them a story and us. And we're going to close with this. He says, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages. And the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true. He says, I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get together the harvest. It says, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I did. They believe in Jesus because of the woman. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. He stays for two more days. He was just passing through. And he stays two more days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Verse 42, then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, although that was part of it, but because we have heard from him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Let me tell you, this story reveals so much about God. As I bring this home, trying to finish it up. Merrill Tenney said this, Jesus was more interested in winning the woman than winning the argument. She brings up stuff. And here's the point we need to know about God. He will lose the battle to win the war. See, we get hung up sometimes on really insignificant religious debates. We start trying to argue about stuff that does not matter. And we keep asking questions. We're like, God, why won't you answer my question? I'm asking you questions. And perhaps we're asking questions about the wrong things. We're like the woman and we're asking God, we're hung up on something. What mountain are we supposed to worship on? God loves us so much, he just keeps digging deeper. And if if God is putting his finger on something in your life, can I just encourage you, don't change the subject. If God is pointing out something in your life, he is leading you to restoration. The woman wanted to talk about mountains, and God said, let's talk about your heart. It's what we need to talk about. It's what we should be talking about right now. Not what you are talking about, but what we should be talking about see god the heart of the father is to restore what's been taken this was a woman who had almost no significance men completely disregarded her how do you think she was treated in that village she's had multiple husbands she's living with a guy who's not her husband she had no value whatsoever in the eyes of men women oh they probably thought even less of her right she's a nobody and jesus 
talks to her. Breaks every rule. He gives her back an identity. He gives her importance. He listens to her. He talks with her. He treats her as legitimate. He has a theological conversation with her. I will give you credit. I will actually listen to you and respond to you. But most of all, and here's the thing I really want to end on today. He approached her as one in need. I never saw this before, but he humbled himself. He came thirsty. And she had the power to give him a drink. He had no bucket. The odds are the disciples probably had a bucket and Jesus didn't ask them to leave it behind. He put himself in a position of vulnerability. I'm thirsty and I have no way of getting that water out. I need you. He elevated the woman's self-worth. Only the strong are able to give to those in need. So he puts her in a position of power. You have strength. I need something from you. See, Jesus humbled himself. He was at the mercy of the ones he came to serve. He led with, I am needy, not you need me. It's very different. It's a very different approach to this. He was genuinely in need of water and the woman could provide this. And let me tell you, the more you look at it throughout scripture, it's everywhere that God does this. The first mission trip, Jesus says the disciples out and he says, Here, I'm going to send you out. And you know, when you go, take nothing. Put yourself in a position of need. So that when you come to people, you're not just the great savior of the world, but you're coming as someone in need. And so it's mutual relationship where you both come and meet each other's needs. Don't just be givers, be vulnerable. When it was time to preach, Jesus comes up to Peter and says, hey, I need a boat. Can I borrow yours, Peter? And Peter goes, who is this guy? Sure, you can use my boat. I have a boat to give. And Peter hears Jesus and responds. And that's how the relationship starts. But it started with Jesus coming from a place of need. Triumphal entry. Jesus comes in. Hey, go get me a donkey. And when they say, what's going on? Just say, Jesus needs it. I have needs. He came as one who needs one. His way to the cross. What does it say? Jesus needed somebody to carry the cross for him. Simon steps out. Says, I need somebody. I need help. All throughout his life. When Jesus came, how did he come? Did God send him as a full-grown adult? No, he came as a baby. What's more needy? I sent the Savior of the world as an infant to a, to a young girl and said, Hey, God needs you to help. We affirm the strength of the giver and the weakness of the receiver constantly. Which leads to pride in the giver and humiliation in the one in need. We hate needing things. We hate being needy. Interdependence is a necessary component of a true relationship. You show me a marriage where somebody says, I don't need the other person. I'm just a giver. They need me. I will show you a marriage that will not last. You need interdependence. You need each other equally. You're filled with pride if you don't think you need the other person. I'm telling you now. There's no way that that's the truth. We need each other. For either side to deny help is to declare superiority. You see this. We come into relationships and I'm just here to help. I don't need anything from you. It puts us up and it puts them down. And Jesus models for us a posture of neediness. We feel shame and embarrassment when we need. And the reality is, 
our need for help is God's solution for our hearts that are prone to pride. God says, I want you to go out and I want you to tell people the message of the world. This is the message that's meant to save them. But when you go, go as one who has needs. Don't go as one who's got all the answers. If you come to help, you must also come with genuine need. It breaks the power of pride in us. Very simply this morning, God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. But he chooses to need us. He doesn't have to. God's got all the power in the world, but he chooses to say, I come as one in need. See, because the heart of the Father is to restore and to release you. He came to the woman in need and he restores her, but then he releases her to go. He says, hey, lady, guess what? I need you. This is a woman who is nothing. And God says, no, let me raise you up. Let me restore your dignity. And let me tell you, I need you. Ephraim the Syrian wrote this. At the beginning of the conversation, Jesus did not make himself known to her. But first she caught sight of a thirsty man, then a Jew, then a rabbi, afterward a prophet, last of all a Messiah. She tried to get the better of the thirsty man. She showed dislike of the Jews. She heckled the rabbi. She was swept off her feet by the prophet and she adored the Christ. The conversation transformed this woman from a lost person into someone who finds others. And God wants to do the same in you and in me. Through time, I'm not going to read the passage, but Matthew chapter 9, 35 and 38, very simply, says this, the harvest is great and the workers are few. God has chosen to come to us in one, as one in need. He needs us to do what he does. To walk to places that others won't walk through. To break rules that keep us apart. Be a rule breaker. Go places where others won't go. Fight to win people, not arguments. I'm going to say that again. Fight to win people and not arguments. Say, here's my story. Judge for yourself. Do not come as one in pride, but as one in need of help. We need to admit we need help just as much as we offer it. You don't need to be perfect for God to use you. You just need to be willing. Here I am, Lord. Use me. As messed up and as needy as I am. He's going to use you because he loves to restore and to release people. Nikki, we're going to close. We want to come on up. So what? How do we do this? What's that look like? So it's a new month. It's a new X factor. Every month it's May. Every month, if you have been following along with us for this year, it's a year of multiplication for us. I feel like God wants to multiply faith and life and all sorts of things through us. But most importantly, he wants to multiply new life, salvation in those who do not yet know. And every month we've been encouraging you to do a spiritual discipline that helps you grow in your own faith. It's called an X factor. How do you take your faith and grow it? This month, our challenge to you is this. Something everybody can do. Would you pray for one person every day, all month long? Pray for one person, not yourself. Pray for somebody else. Every day, all month long. We're going to... In your programs, you should have got a little card. Everybody take that out right now. should be a little card. You should see it. It says, week one, praying for hearts. So we're going to pray for heart, 
Week two, we're going to pray for soul. Week three, we're going to pray for mind. And week four, we're going to pray for strength. This week, we give you little prompts, just little suggestions for each day. So today is day one. Today is day one of week one. If you're here for the first time, you came on a great day. And I'm going to encourage you to pray for somebody who has yet to know Jesus. You can pick whoever you want, but I'm going to encourage you. Would you, would you consider, that's the heart of this. Would you pray for somebody who doesn't know Jesus? And someone you think that nobody else is probably praying for. It's just you. You're going to be their champion. You be the one. See, God goes after the one. He's going to walk where nobody else is going to walk. He's going to cross lines nobody else would cross. Break rules. Would you pray for one person? Doesn't have to be long, but by name. Say, God, who... We are you putting on my heart? And let's see what God does. Seriously, I cannot wait to see what happens when this room filled with people prays for one person for 30 days in a row. What is God going to do in somebody else's life? Lives are going to change because of our prayers. Eternities are going to be transformed because of our prayers. Situations are going to change because of our prayers. There'll be men and women, boys and girls, family and friends whose lives will never be the same again because you chose to pray for one. As we respond with the heart of the Father, God doesn't need us, but He chooses to need us. So I want to invite you. Let's invite the heart of the Father to be in us. Say, God, would you give us the heart of the Father? We've been talking about this for weeks now. The heart of the Father is to be found. He wants the lost to find Him. The heart of the Father always has a place for you. The door is always open. Come on in. The heart of the Father is for everyone. One. God finds one. It's not like generally, no, He knows names. He knows birthdays. He knows eye color. He knows everything about the heart of the Father is not just to have you in the house, but to hold you in His hand. It's not enough just to have you close. He wants to have you personal relationship. The heart of the Father is for outsiders to become insiders. We talked about that last week. And the heart of the Father is to restore you and to release you. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Would you pray for one? Next week, we're going into a brand new series. I cannot wait for this one. Pastor Kerry's preaching next week. It's Mother's Day. It's going to be awesome. Kicking off a new series called Sons and Daughters. Taught from the heart of the Father, now we're talking about spiritual sons and daughters. What are we doing for somebody else? I'm going to pass that on. And it starts here. Pray for one. So I challenge you right now. We're going to, we're going to close. Would you take a minute and write a name down? Could be in your program for yourself. Just take on, but write down a name. Who does God want you to pray for? And would you commit to just praying for somebody? To being a finder. Because if you're here today, you're found. Just go be a finder. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Lord, that you never give up on us. That you are the shepherd that goes after the sheep, that you are the, the woman who searches desperately for the coin. Lord, you're the father that welcomes back the prodigal. 
Jesus, you stopped along the side of the road for an outcast hiding from people in a tree and you gave him value. Lord, you walked through a place where you shouldn't have been and you talked to a lady you weren't supposed to talk to and you changed not just her life but an entire village. Jesus, that's the reason you came to this earth. The heart of the Father is to love the lost until they're found. And Lord, may we just go be finders. Let us take up that charge, not as a have to, but as a get to, God. May we not be filled with pride, but may we accept and acknowledge the fact that we have needs. May we humbly come to our family, to our friends, to our co-workers, to our classmates. Say, hey, here's my story. Judge for yourself. Jesus, we welcome you to change lives through us. Use us. Send us. Here we are. We thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by this message. For more information about Life Tree, please check us out online at lifetreecc.com.